Echo 5, do you copy? Echo 5. Echo 2, good morning. Nice of you to drop by. Feeling alright, sir? Thought we lost you. Right now, I feel like I can take off this whole podcast myself. Ah, I know what you mean. Ready to send that transmission to Echo Base? Yes, sir. R10, pass through. Welcome, guys, to another episode of the Hoth Transmissions. This is Echo 2, and this week I am joined by two guests from Instagram. We've got Star Wars Only, and we got Star Wars Warriors. Go ahead and say hi, guys. Hello. I'm Star Wars Warriors, all other, other known as Ethan. And I'm uh, Star Wars Only, uh, otherwise known as Only, I guess. <laughs> uh, might know me from YouTube or Instagram, one of the two. I'm on both. Yeah, and you got what, a new tagline. Everybody that follows you is now OnlyFans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Any fan of Star Wars story. Only is now an OnlyFans. <laughs> yes. I, when I saw you post that, that was pretty comical. Um, but yeah, right now we were just uh, discussing a little bit about like uh, the sequels and just kind of like our expectations from them and kind of how we thought of them. Oh, isn't that the biggest discussion in Star Wars? Yeah, I feel like right now that's that's the topic. That, that that's the topic uh, that's going through everyone's mind of like Mandalorian was great. Why didn't the sequels do it? And like like kind of reflecting on the sequels in a way of like even if you like them, there are things about it that you don't like and that you wish they could have done better. I, I do want to ask you two guys this because this is something that has been on my mind for the past week. What if they had done the Star Wars sequel trilogy exactly like Lord of the Rings, where between they bought the franchise in 2012 and the first movie came out in 2015 but what if they had done episodes 7 8 and 9 in 2017 2018 2019 and then between 2012 and 2017 nothing but production and just getting basically all three films filmed and ready to go like lord of the rings do you think that would have made it better or would have been chaos it would have it would have served the overall plot better honestly because the original trilogy you know, I mean, everyone thinks it was all because of George Lucas, but in reality, I mean, like with Star Wars fans, George Lucas basically developed a skeleton outline for the original trilogy. He saw where he wanted the story to go, and he led directors in Empire Strikes Back, and uh, Return of the Jedi is a little iffy with directors. I know there's two separate guys involved in that, but uh, basically, those guys were there to serve the story mainly and create the best-looking film and best-quality acting they can get out of those films in order to serve George Lucas's story. And with the sequel trilogy, I mean, the prequels, I mean, production, production quality and everything like that and acting in some direction, obviously, you know, is a little bit cringy at times, but at least it served like an overall arcing story that you can follow and feel for the sequel trilogy was just kind of meshed together, like piece by piece with no skeleton structure of where it was going. So that's I do see how the Lord of the Rings format of filming would could help and serve the story better. But on a business type of format, I feel like that's not what they were looking for. I think feel like they were trying to make their money back as quickly as possible and as soon as possible. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. And it would be a little bit different because with Lord of the Rings, they at least had the, the whole book to script off of and kind of. They knew exactly where the story was going. Yeah, they but they did. also they also had. A, I mean, George Lucas gave them three scripts to go off of for the sequel trilogy. You know, I mean, like they had that skeleton outline. They just elected not to choose it. That's true. Disney's like, uh, yeah, forget you, George Lucas. What, well, uh, we're gonna do like, our own thing. I feel like what Kathleen Kennedy should have done properly. I mean, I mean, if I was just thinking about this today because of a podcast and my anger with the sequel trilogy is just the fact is. I feel like Kathleen Kennedy should have acted more as a middleman and bargaining tool and worked with George Lucas and the directors that were willing to s fulfill his vision. And even if she still, even if they, he still did sell star Wars, I mean, obviously he's not going to have full control of it, but I feel like Kathleen Kennedy should have worked more as like a middleman between the directors and George Lucas or whatever the skeleton outline is, because obviously oh. there's gonna, obviously there was going to be, 
disputes between directors wanting to show what they wanted to show in the films and if there was someone who was overseeing like a whole skeleton outline but marvel did the same thing with kevin feige and their directors it was serving an overall story but at the same time the directors were able to you know give their own input into the individual story um it's the same thing with the harry potter books um that series is great because of the overall arcing story that's involved in it and each director who directed a movie or multiple films fulfilled that one part of the overlaying structure of the story the sequel trilogy just basically pooped out a movie every two years trying to follow off of what the other director did with no overlaying story or direction to go with yeah, yeah i feel like they, they even to... tried to do like uh one every year because you had the the trilogy every two years and then they're trying to pop out a a spinoff in between yeah it makes sense it makes sense in a business like in a business way because they literally bought it for how much was it trent like Uh, 4.05 billion dollars yeah 4.0 i mean like when you make a purchase that high you want to get your return on your investment as quickly as possible but at the same time i mean like you also want to treat it with care I mean, obviously, because if you're pumping out stuff that the overall fandom does not enjoy, I mean, there's still going to be people buy, uh, buying tickets and purchasing merchandise because Star Wars ha- has been such a prevalent name. But when you, I don't, I, I don't want to say tarnish because a lot of people did put in work and love into the sequel trilogy. And I feel like that what they, what they were doing, they felt was right. But it just wasn't structured overall. And that's just the whole collapse of it was people piggybacking off of each other. I actually enjoyed Colin Trevorrow's script of uh, Duel of Fates a little bit better because it, it kind of... Oh, yeah. What, what I, the reason why I, can, I don't like The Rise of Skywalker as much as The Last Jedi is they both have their flaws, but at least The Last Jedi tried to do something a little bit new and like tried to uh not subvert expectations but it tried something newer and rise of skywalker kind of just gave us a generic film that piggybacked off the nostalgia of every other star wars film and for me it just seemed like a cash grab and that's why i don't enjoy rise of skywalker as much as last jedi but i can appreciate last jedi for trying to do something new rather than just fall back on what they know is safe yeah, it's kind of the corporate structure of how Disney makes films as opposed to Lucasfilm. Because, you know, Lucasfilm is a independent company. It's an independent production company. So when they make films and they don't have a big boss, like, let's say, Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, it's easier to make films in terms of the story. You really have freedom. And that's the kind of movies George Lucas has always enjoyed creating. And it, it kind of shows, as you were saying, like, they didn't tarnish Star Wars, but when it came to pushing out a film every year, it really was too much too quick. Because uh, imagine you're Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, imagine it's 2012, George Lucas asks, asks you to come in and become the next Lucasfilm, not president, but co-chairman. Which, if if you're interested in the business structure of Lucasfilm before Disney, it was chairman and sole proprietor george lucas and then you had lucas on president michelin chow so when he brings in kathleen kennedy he's basically saying you're the next me you're the one who's going to be in charge and then that same year not only do she does she become the president of lucasfilm she becomes the head person and then disney says hey you're also going to have to put out a film every year starting in 2015 you have about two and a half years to do that good luck it's it's a very delicate process of making these films it took george lucas 10 years to make the prequel trilogy and i would argue that the story structure on that wasn't even that perfect and there's but that's that relies mostly on lucas what disney did was like all right i want to put out an entire new trilogy within a span of five years within a span of six years if we're going by release date so it's just kind of it's a it's a rushed mentality of like you were saying ethan on trying to get the money back where you know i thought it would be a good idea to put out the films in 2017 2018 2019 and while i think that actually would have done better for them in the box office and in story continuity like you were saying disney the second they bought star wars were like hey this is four billion dollars we got to get this back as soon as possible and so that's why they immediately when they bought it they said there's going to be a star wars film coming out in may of 2015 it's going to be episode seven and of course they had to delay that because of script issues 
And that really kind of upset them at the time because it was like, well, that's affecting our quarter earnings. So it's a very different mentality on making films where Lucas makes the prequels because I have a story to finish and money to make where Disney looks at the sequels and they're like, all right, we got to make our money back now. We, we have a story to tell, but our main priority is hitting these dates because they're going to be the most financially viable. Yeah, which just puts a huge pain and, um, you know, like distress on Kathleen Kennedy's part. You know, I, I might have disagreements with what she does or with the Star Wars, but I mean, overall, she was handed a very difficult job. And, you know, I mean, she was playing the middleman to a lot of different things that she should have just been solely focused on trying to make the best quality movies in order to gain that money back. But she, I mean, apparently with the purchase, it just had so much pressure from the business side of it. And basically, I mean, with the stuff that happened with Lord and Miller, it probably just, you know, what they were doing so differently with Han Solo probably scared her in a sense. And mm -hmm. they had a disagreement, which obviously led to, uh, you know, um, Ron Howard directing the film, which is just, it just seems like it's just a lot of like financial pressure on her part that, involved that evoked a lot of her decision making throughout the sequel trilogy or and other standalone films yeah that's actually one of the funny things is like because of the chaos that came out of the sequels it kind of pushed solo to a side like they didn't even get too much like publicity on that not a lot not a lot of marketing and when it came out i'm pretty sure it had the lowest box box office sales than Oh yeah, no. It's uh, the, the solo problem wasn't even really the sequel trilogy. The, the big problem with that was just what happened behind the scenes in production. Uh, well, the guys who were directing it originally were Phil Lore and Chris Miller, I believe right. were the names, and they've directed Twenty One Jump Street and other things. And when they were making the film, they would continue to do the same shots over and over again, and that was really upsetting the production in Solo, a Star Wars story. And so people like Kathleen Kennedy and Lawrence Kasdan, I, I think a lot of people have forgotten that not only was he a co-writer on that, but he was an executive producer who was one of the deciding people on getting rid of Chris Lore and Phil Miller. And so <clears throat> what happened was they say it's creative differences, and it probably was, but a lot of it was how the production was done. And Kathleen Kennedy said, you know, there's a process to making these films, and they just weren't familiar with that process. And what's kind of frustrating about that is that not only did they not work the stuff out before they even hired these guys, what's frustrating is that when they got rid of these two directors, they doubled the production budget because they brought in Ron Howard, and then they just didn't market the film at all. And so the Solo Star Wars story is the most expensive Star Wars film ever made. I mean, I think it cost $500 million to make, and it made maybe a little bit over that. It lost $50 million in total. So it's the first Star Wars film to not perform well at the box office, but it's also the first one to lose money, and that's solely because of its production problems, which is it, it, it is kind of frustrating because it's like you should have seen this coming from the start when you announced you're making a Han Solo spinoff film. That's it, It's not a very interesting concept, and it's it, it kind of shows that they really were doing a lot of Star Wars, not wrong in the sense of storytelling, but wrong in the sense of their approach to it of just because it's a character we know doesn't mean it's going to do well in the box office. Doesn't mean we want to see a film only about Han Solo. Han Solo works great with other characters. Maybe he's not going to work so great by himself. Yeah. I do remember yeah, when I heard them announce that movie, I was like, uh, I don't think, I think that's gonna be the first movie I skip in theaters. So I was like, I don't really care to see a Han Solo movie, but surprisingly it actually, it's actually probably my favorite out of the, the films they've released so far. Really? Yeah, with Han yeah. Solo, you can at least you can at least appreciate what they were doing about. I mean, obviously with the Mandalorian and um, these new Star Wars shows we're getting. I mean, Han Solo and Rogue One. I mean, you could appreciate what they were doing in the sense of, uh, you know, trying to stray. Star Wars is such a big and vast canon and galaxy and fandom. You know, there's other things to focus on outside Skywalker lineage or that story. So, I mean, I can appreciate them for trying to go and delve into the smuggler world of Star Wars, which is actually quite interesting. Um, but, you know, it, also uh, the fact is I, I don't really think console was at all marketed that properly. And, like, I just no, wasn't excited for it. Yeah, it wasn't marketed at all. I remember um, in 2017 for The Last Jedi... Um, when I went to go see the movie, I saw like a fan premiere version of it, which is ironic because that same night I ran into um, our friend Clint. <laughs> like, and, and it was completely unexpected. But um, 
the the fan film thing or the, the fan premiere for it, we were like, okay, maybe we're going to see a, a trailer for that solo movie because that came out in May. This was December. It's like five yeah. to six months away, and we had absolutely no trailer for it. And if you if you remember even more about it, um, during that year 2018, it wasn't until the Super Bowl, which why you would put a Star Wars trailer in a Super Bowl is beyond me because not that many football fans love Han Solo, but, I mean, that was in February. So in February, we finally got our, like, first actual look at the solo movie that came out in May. I mean, they just they didn't market this movie at all. Mm-mm. Let alone the the casting for it seemed a little off too. Like a lot of people were like, uh, it's not Harrison Ford. And yeah, people were, had yeah. a lot of lot of reserves reservations about uh, Alden uh, taking on that role. Well, I actually it's not even that he's a bad actor. Fantastic job. Yeah, he, yeah, he he did a good job with what he had. It's just that you know he's not Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford, and 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 it. In terms of the story of the sequels, that also doesn't really work well for me either, because it's like the first film we have with Han Solo back is Force Awakens, and then he dies. And then, you know, yeah. you're going to tell me a few years later, I'm going to see him in a spinoff film? It's like, eh, I, the, kind of annoying, you know? Same thing with Black Widow and Marvel. I mean, I mean, I don't want to jump into another thing over here. But, I mean, with all that's that's, you know, incorrect or what we didn't enjoy with the sequel trilogy, we can at least appreciate, like, at some level of what they are doing correctly with uh, uh, television now. And uh, as some people are saying now, the Filoni-verse. Yeah. Like, I was actually thinking about that. It's like the the sequels in themselves, they weren't too – they're enjoyable. They weren't, like, terrible, terrible films. But they made, had a lot of flaws, a lot of things that fans just didn't like. And I think by doing what they did, they're hearing the feedback from all the fans. And so now we're getting – TV shows like The Mandalorian and then all these other spinoff shows, and they're starting to do a lot better with the storytelling. Uh, yeah, it's just the only thing I'm worried about with, um, I mean, it's a small worry, and I mean, Disney's loaded with money, so it it's probably doesn't even have any credit to it, but with pumping out all of these uh, TV shows, it's just, I just don't want the production value for any of them to go down. I mean, The Mandalorian looks great. I mean, and there are, like, I guess you can say some scenes in the production value of The Mandalorian that are like, eh. But, I mean, overall, it's it looks great, and it feels like Star Wars. Yeah, that's what's interesting, is that, like, you know the shows are going to be smaller in budget and in scale. Like, Mandalorian Season 1, for example, was, I think, $150 million in production cost. Probably about the same, if not a little bit more, for Season 2, depending on what they needed or what they were given by Disney. The films, a piece, are like $250 million just to make. That's not including, like, the hundreds of millions of dollars, which is probably about $100 million, just at least in marketing the film and advertising it. So it it seems like their approach for, for the future, at least in this decade of the 2020s, is... The shows are going to have their usual budget, $150 million. It's going to look like television, but that's kind of like smaller scale Star Wars. But then when we get to something like the movie that comes out in 2023, Rogue Squadron, I would imagine that's going to be a lot bigger and grander in scale. And you're you're going to be able to see the difference where you look at that and you go, okay, that looks like a Star Wars movie. And then yeah. you look at something like The Mandalorian, and what's weird is Mandalorian is, has a lot of movie moments where like you'll watch it and you're like, dude, this looks like straight out of movie. I should be watching this in a theater with a bunch of people. And then there's some scenes, like Ethan was saying, where you look at it and you go, that looks kind of shitty. <laughs> it looks kind of like a fan film. That no, was yeah. one of my problems with um, the Boba the, Fett Yeah, episode. I was going to say the Boba Fett episode. That, that's the one that I was... And I understand it. I'm not, I'm not harping on the director for it, Robert Rodriguez, since he's ironically going to end up directing the Boba Fett series. But the, there's a lot of scenes and, and shots in that where you're like, that looks pretty bad. That looks like it was filmed outside in California on a Sunday afternoon, and no yeah. one wanted to do post editing on it. And that's exactly what happened. They they did it. They did it in California. They did it on a sunny day, and uh, I don't know what happened in post production, but they did not really um do a lot of great shots with that scene. Yeah, well, it's weird with that the, uh... the whole pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, episode really like you can tell that there's a lot of like good like direction moments it's just it's just the quality of it seems like a fan film which they could have been yeah. going for intentionally but it's just like i mean there are good qualities too i mean when you see slave one come down from the sky like that that was like yeah i got chills i mean obviously because it's slave one but the way they introduced it just made it all the better also i i really appreciate how they in 
like introduce Boba Fett again. Like, you know, like, I mean, they didn't introduce him like in the robot chicken episode, you know, where he comes out flopping his arms like, hey, I'm Boba or I'm Boba. You know, like, <laughs> like, you know, it's just like they actually like, you know, they teased him in the first episode and got excited for it. We didn't see him till a little bit later. And, you know, a lot of people are saying like with I mean, I could see a little bit with Mandalorian season one, but overall Mandalorian season two, I feel like had a pretty like well-structured story. Even That second episode on the ice planet. Eh, but I mean, overall, everything made sense. When people said Luke Skywalker, I actually really like that uh, Spider episode. Really? Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's, I liked it's it a hit or miss for some people. Episode. And it kind of and it served the story in a way. But I mean, overall, it was probably one of my least favorite episodes of season two. But yeah, um, I can see that everything everything kind of made sense. Like Luke Skywalker wasn't fan service. You make it made it make it connects to basically, you know, he's looking for Jedi. He's building a temple, um, and everything else it serves the story both with that mandalorian teaming up makes sense because he has his armor um you know i i just really enjoyed season two overall for the structure of the story which is surprising too because if you think about it normally when it comes to i would say most shows but just in general when you have such a good start like mandalorian season one did you would go okay all right i'm comfortable with this small universe small characters characters we don't really know much about like brand new everything and we kind of got the feel for Mandalorian. And when it comes to season two, it like it, I think it doubled the quality in the content. I, I mean, honestly, I really think season two was far better than season one. There's a lot of episodes oh, that yeah. I really enjoyed in season one, but season two, the only one I didn't like was the uh, chapter 10 one, the one that um, on the ice planet with the spiders. And that's because I have arachnophobia and that shit scared me. I did not like seeing all those spiders, but it was still, it was a fun episode. It was just kind of a pit stop episode, but you look at the rest of them, you go, wow, like this is actually good quality storytelling. I care about all the characters. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cameos that people like me were very worried about when we heard all the rumors about these, but every single one was executed. Yeah. I mean, I I was worried Ahsoka was going to look awkward. I was worried that Bo-Katan was going to show up and Bobo was going to show up and they were all going to be like having an Avengers Endgame moment where it's a big cringe work. It's it's all these characters coming together and you're like, Oh, I know that person. And that's why I like this. No, it was, this fits the story. Din Djarin's on this adventure. He runs into these people. And they're kind of a means to an end. He's like, hey, I need this. They said, okay, you got to help me with this first. He helps. They both go on their own separate ways and then, then runs into the next character. It's 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 a very engaging story for us as audience members because we kind of feel like Din Djarin in some way. But it's also just baffling that you have someone like John Favreau who can write the story and continue to make it not only interesting but exciting and tension building and make you want more. I mean – at the end of season two, who I mean, honest to God, who knows what's next? We all knew what was going to happen at the end of season one. We all knew he was going to go look for Jedi. Now that yeah. that's kind of happened, now it really is. Well, we we I would ex- expect him to go to Mandalore, but it's like, what, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen in season three? So th- this has been some of the best Star Wars content I think we've gotten since 1983's Return of the Jedi. I, I think it's better than the sequels, the prequels, Clone Wars. I don't think it's even close to those in competition. Oh, yeah, definitely not. And it goes to one of the things that we were, like, discussing earlier is, like, are we going to see the child again, Grogu? Or... I saw I saw a funny... Uh, I, I Actually, I think you might have posted it, Trent. Um, it was, like, Kylo Ren whispering to Baby Yoda, hey, you're cool, don't come to school today. <laughs> yeah, don't show up for school yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but honestly, yeah. I mean, like... I'm really excited for what's to come. I mean, like, from what I've heard with uh, Deborah Chow with, uh, you know, the Kenobi series, uh, I mean, it's just, like, they're making a lot of good moves now, and it seems like Hayden Christensen is, like, starting to be welcomed again by the community. I mean, homie moved, out, homie moved out to a farm, and we and they finally got him back. And it seems like, like, I heard mention of uh, Order 66 in the Jedi Temple flashback, stuff like that, like, just just all around great things of what's to come with uh personally the show i'm most excited for and then second is ahsoka is the kenobi series yeah, my, my listing for excitement is actually surprising for me my, my number one is uh that show the acolyte um the second one for me would be the uh i think obi-wan and then third would be ahsoka or maybe it's 
reversed. I can't. I can't remember. The acolyte is very is. interesting because um, I like the I concept mean, on that one. Like obviously, yeah. Lore, I mean, uh, it's 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 going to be about Sith acolyte, correct? They didn't say it, but they said something about like like the description for it is exploring emerging dark side powers and yeah. mysteries yeah. in the universe. It's just like but that is such being called the acolyte. Yeah, that is such an interesting concept. You know, reversing the role of uh, what it's like to be a Sith to review to refuse the light and not embrace it, you know, and only hold on to uh, the struggle of the future and uh, the fear of what's to come, you know? Like, I really like the sense of flipping, uh, you know, basically the whole uh, original trilogy on its head where you you can kind of root for a Sith Oculite in a way, but um, overall, yeah, I mean, I actually, that, that one completely went over my head until you just mentioned it. That does sound very interesting. Yeah, it kind of goes along with the whole thing. It's like Darth Maul is like the villain of pretty much the prequels, and then they bring him back, and you start to feel for the character and start to understand his side. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, he was. I mean, Maul was just was used as much as the, the Jedi Order was used. I mean, he was only a pawn in the grand scheme of things. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait for what's to come with uh, these TV shows. It's just the only thing I'm worried about is production value. That is. I mean, they got they have this new technology, which I'm sure make. What's the new technology they use for the Mandalorian? It's like a, it's not a green screen, but it's like a. Uh, I forget what it calls. Oh, like stagecraft a, technology. Yeah, stagecraft oh, technology. That's right. Like that's. I mean, it presents beautiful shots. You know. Um, yeah, I remember uh, going to the solo panel back in I think it was Chicago, and they're discussing a lot of that behind the scenes stuff, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is like an actual screen that." When they did the the hyperspace shot with Alden, that was at the actual hyperspace, like glowing off of his eyes because they had him actually sitting in the cockpit. Yeah, and that's and, what Star Wars has always done is you know it's always revolutionized film and it mm-hmm. went beyond expectations. And I feel like they need to start striving more for that. I mean, Star Wars. I mean, it first built its sense of hope, and you know everyone fell in love with it in 1970, in the 1970s, basically, and a lot of you know studio heads um they'll get old and they'll hire people like young people like george lucas for american graffiti which they'll think is going to flop which turns out to be awesome with the new coming of age of the people who are watching these films and buying it like teenagers and stuff so i feel like in court like getting people like john favreau and dave filoni and people who have made star wars media likable from a like from from the star wars community should definitely be more involved with the production of not only just tv shows but films in general because connecting canon is it's great i mean marvel did it and look where they're at you know it really expands the whole universe like we can sit there and jump into a story and then it'll start talking about other stuff and it's like oh yeah i recognize this now and it just kind of just really opens it up because now they're jumping back into the high republic and the, which is what 200 years uh, prior, and they're going to bring in Yoda, which is going to connect it to the current stuff. And so it's going to be really interesting on how they're going to really like delve into all those different stories and which direction they're going to take it in. Yeah, and honestly, I want to know more about Grogu. I hope his story isn't done because you know, I mean, we still don't know where he came from. We know that he was at the Jedi Order during the fall of the Republic, but I mean, where where the hell did he come from? Did did Yoda and Yaddle do something like kids for the sake for the sake of their species or what? You know, like yeah, there, there's a lot of questions on that. Um, a guy named Jason Fry, Jason Fry, yeah, the author for Star Wars: um, The Last Jedi. Ironically, um, I remember talking to him, and he said something about how like when it comes to the species of Yoda and Yaddle. Like, when it comes to being a Star Wars author, that has always been extremely off-limits. Like, you weren't allowed to even hint that you... Like, he doesn't know anything about it either, but, like, the, the, the thing was, that is, like, uncharted territory in the Star Wars universe. And the lore and the expanded universe, the, the, the canon that we have now, you name it, this was something that has never really been discussed like where they actually came from why the species doesn't have a name what's so unique about the species why is it that literally every single one we know so far is you know force sensitive and so that's why the mandalorian has done something kind of crazy with that where it's like 
We're actually kind of exploring it a little bit. We, we didn't with Grogu yet, but I think we are going to see him again because at the end of, you know, season two, Din Djarin does say to him, he's like, I will see you again, I promise. And I think he's going to keep and that promise because... And he didn't give the, the shifter knob, and you know he's going to give that. Yeah, he's got to give that back. He, he's probably keeping that for his own sake. He's probably keeping that yeah. to stay sane. Yeah. I imagine season three, we're going to see that dude pretty uh, pretty depressed with that little Grogu around. Yeah, I know. It's uh, just my, my theory for uh, like you know Yoda's species overall. I mean, I I don't want to like tease theories when it comes to it because obviously we can't guess it because until story creators come up with something or they find something. But I mean, his species they live for a thousand years, you know, plus, and it seems as if like you know only one or two would be born every, you know, almost every millennia, you know. So that's kind of an interesting concept of a species that's so rare because they live for so long. Yeah, George Lucas was actually the one that put it off limits. Like, even before the prequels, he wanted, even in the books, he didn't want any other creature that resembled Yoda. And then when he got to the prequels, he he kind of delved into adding Yaddle into that. And even then, that was a little rocky. And then you see, like, Knights of the Old Republic, they created uh, the... The Jedi Council there, there, there was a Yoda uh, species character there. And so as each generation comes, George Lucas has become a little bit more lenient with that. I know he was on the set of Mandalorian quite a bit and when they're introducing Grogu and the name. Uh, he had to approve it first from what I understand. Really? I, yeah, I did not know about that or hear that. I know, I know that he, um, he had like some input on Grogu and all that, but I didn't know he had a say in any of it. Um, wouldn't surprise me, though. I mean, if, if you're going to deal with the species at all, he would be the guy. I mean, it's George Lucas, of course, but he, he would th- definitely be the guy I think the right word, wording was he approved of it. I don't, I don't know if they're, like, going to him Get, specifically for it, but he yeah, approved he gave, of it. He gave, yeah, he, he gave his blessing, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, it's just there has to be something, you know, you know, I wouldn't say, like, emotionally investing, but there has to be something deeper to Yoda's species that, I don't, that George Lucas holds on to, that he knows what he wants it to be, and... That's why he's, you know, so touchy about it. And when it comes to canon or authors wanting to write about it, it must resemble something from, I don't know, what he wanted to work on. I have no clue. But, um, yeah, it seems like George Lucas is holding on to a secret that he probably hasn't given Disney yet. Or, hell, maybe he has to John Favreau because they're doing the Baby Yoda storyline. But Yeah, I don't, I don't see Lucas uh, popping into the Disney offices too, too often. Yeah, uh, I think I think he's enjoying his his life in Chicago. You know, I I do wonder how that man is handling this whole COVID pandemic. Uh, he he's an old man. He's like in his seventies, late seventies too. Not not like seventy one or something. Homeboy's old. I wonder I wonder what his day to day life is like uh, during COVID. I mean, he probably has people just bring him food all the time. I mean, sure as hell he's at risk, you know. But uh, that, like we've seen time and time again where uh, other uh, old older richer men don't really seem to care about that but uh yeah yeah i imagine he's uh, quite happy at it yeah he's um i think he's enjoying retirement and then you know it's like you know in a sense oh if i had four billion dollars i'd be i'd be enjoying retirement (laughs) yeah you know i mean he just uh you know he he basically sent his kid away to college and he's now visiting and and learning and letting it grow without him. Basically, because yeah, he handed it off to Dave Filoni. Like, and he's just, Dave you know, he's uh, he's just kind of checking in on it, saying like, huh, how you doing? You're not shit with that sequel trilogy. <laughs> you, you did a lot of drugs then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I heard George Lucas actually really liked uh, the sequels. Oh, God. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, I mean, maybe, I, maybe because it was appealing to the sense of, like, you know, more like because George Lucas has always said Star Wars has always been for kids, so I can get how he would like them then. But yeah, well, I know also, we know for sure. I, I can't see doesn't... George Lucas going against the sequel trilogy without like some type of <laughs> some type of yeah. like anchoring. I mean, I yeah, I feel he like... definitely has some bitterness towards the sequels. I would imagine. I mean, he he openly told them that he did not like the Force Awakens at all. Um, he 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 gave a comment on the Last Jedi saying that it was beautifully made. Uh, which is very vague, but I'll I'll take it. And then I don't know anything on what he said about the rise of Skywalker. I, I he he definitely needs to do like a tell all sit down interview. I know that. Yeah, he was in Orlando for that. I I I 
110% remember that. I, I know he was in Orlando and he went to that, um, the new ride at Disney World. It was a, the Galaxy's Edge, which is a Star Wars land. And there's a ride called Rise of Resistance there. And it's like the new most advanced ride of all time, at least, you know, back when it opened in a, uh, August of 2019, I think. And so what yeah. happened was uh, he, he got off the ride or something, or I think he was coming into the ride, and he told some of the First Order cast members, uh, he, they said something to him, and he's like, uh, you know you die in the next movie, right? Like, hey, So he had already seen episode nine before the premiere, and he he, he like he spoiled it. So just poor poor people working at Disney for no reason. He, he's like, oh, yeah, you all die. It's like, well, damn, George, all right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the First Order. It's the final moment i mean did yeah, you really expect yeah that it's, to win? it's expected yeah he's like he's like you know where he turns to the dark side right he's <laughs> <laughs> like you might want to change that. the color of that lightsaber before it becomes a bad investment <laughs> he's like we bring back time travel in uh, episode nine and we go back to the phantom menace uh, so you might need to Get your pod racers going again. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the holiday special. Oh, God. You know, I, I've actually not... Well, the, yeah, I, I saw the new one. I have actually not seen the original holiday special, the 1978 The original one, one is a train wreck. You, I've, I've heard uh, that Eckhart's you can't ladder... can't turn away from YouTuber, it. Yeah, Eckhart's ladder, he told me... Um, well, he didn't tell me. He put it up on, his, I think, Twitter or YouTube. He did a review for it, and he was like, honestly... This isn't even enjoyable to watch, like, ironically. Like, you, you'll sit down to watch it to make fun of it. He's like, you can't even watch it like that. That's how bad the holiday special is. Yeah, even the costuming for the Wookiees is comical. Like, oh, the only God. good the thing that came out of the original. One, the costume was... for that one Wookiee in, in Solo. Oh, yeah. The female Wookiee who looked like... Uh, yeah, that was a little weird. Planet of the, the Lost. Mm. I was thinking Planet of the Apes, but yeah, Land of the Lost yeah. too. Yeah, but you know that one ape in Land of the Lost? His, mm-hmm. his name is like Cheeky or something like that. It looked exactly like that. Oh, that's a... With, with Will Ferrell and Danny McBride. <laughs> yeah, I I, um, I can definitely see the correlation there. It, it was a very weird uh, choice uh, in terms of showing off the Wookiees. Uh, I don't think we'll be seeing a lot of them in the future just because... The holiday special solo. I think I think we're we're, we're trying to find new species to deal with. Yeah, what do you think of them? Like, uh, just creating a bunch of new characters and not really jumping back into the ones that are already created. I think that's what they're doing with the High Republic. I, I think one of the good things about all these new shows and the new stuff that we're exploring is that we're really going to start seeing more creativity in the Star Wars universe. I and mean, that was a big downfall of the sequel trilogy, was that it was quite literally exactly like the original trilogy. Not only in story, but in the way the world is set up. There's not much room for exploration. It doesn't feel like there's a big, vast galaxy out there. But right now, with the High Republic, for sure, it feels like you know they, they describe it as like exploring you know the, the West, at least for us on Earth. And so it, it would make sense that they would introduce a lot of new characters, new species, uh, new religions. I mean, that's kind of what they're doing, even with the um, the Thrawn novels. Uh, Thrawn Ascendancy, I think, is the first one of like the trilogy, and it takes place between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, and it's in like the unknown regions of the Star Wars universe. So for the Chiss Ascendancy, they know everything about that area, but as much as they could. And anyone you know, like in the Republic or in the Separatists, they have no idea what that stuff's about. So that's an interesting route to go in terms of the unknown regions. You can ex- explore a lot of new creatures and aliens that we have in the first book. So there's that option. And then there's the option of going to the High Republic, which is hundreds of years before and exploring new species and aliens like that. So a lot more room for, for creativity, but um, it really depends on what timeline you're going into because it's hard to do that in the sequel trilogy timeline, I feel. Yeah, I can understand that as well. Uh, I do like a lot of the character designs that they're, they're putting with the High Republic. I, I know, uh, see, today's uh, January 3rd. I, know, I believe it's tomorrow that they're going to be what, releasing some, some new books, if I understand correctly. Uh, wait, is today Monday? No, no I don't think, no, I don't think they're releasing a yeah, I don't think they're releasing a book tomorrow. I think they're having like a announcement 
like Q and A panel or something. There's some big to do about it. And then Tuesday, I think Light of the Jedi, which is the first book by um, Charles Soule, comes That's out. Right, yeah. And, yeah, and I know some of our friends already have like copies of it and have been reading it, and they say it's really, really good. So I'll hopefully be able to pick it up from my local bookstore or something like that out here. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to pick it up too, and then do maybe a little discussion on it because I'm actually really intrigued about a lot of the new stuff that they're coming out coming out with. Although the only thing that I have issues is because they're talking about like the Sith acolyte. Maybe that's a way that they're going to get around the whole Sith being extinct for a thousand years, as Kaya de Munde uh, uh, proclaims. Well, um, well, here's one thing with it, though, is it can be like um, George R. R. Martin with Game of Thrones, where he says, like, uh, you're reading this story through the eyes of this person, but what do they really know? Like, they don't really know anything about that side of the the, the Earth. So maybe that's what they're going to do with the Sith Acolyte, where it's like, or the Acolyte show, where it's exploring the Sith a little bit more, but the Jedi think they're extinct. So it's not like they were extinct for a thousand years. They were just in hiding the whole time. And which it makes goes sense. Into like, yeah, it goes into the purpose of like the rule of two, which um, I, I could imagine that in a in the in the acolyte show, it would kind of since it's going to take on. place, I think fifty years before um, the Phantom Menace, you're going to see like the introduction of the plot to like undermine the Jedi and uh, usurp them and get them out maybe of power, the, basically. Maybe the rise of Darth Plagueis. I mean, That's what a lot of people are speculating on. If the Sith Oculite is uh, Darth Plagueis. <laughs> uh, it might be, man. That, that's what some people are leaning towards. Because you got to think of it. Timeline-wise, it is it 50 sense. years before the Phantom Menace. Palpatine I thought it was 200 years. Born. That's when the High Republic takes place. Oh, gotcha. The, 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 High, the High Republic. The Acolyte, uh, the description says it takes uh, takes place in the final days of the High Republic. Which, okay. if we're if we go through the timeline, apparently it's 50 years before the Phantom Menace. So if that's when the High Republic ends and this show kind of starts, it would make sense that this would you would see a young Plagueis in there somewhere. If not Plagueis, his master Darth Tenebris. But Palpatine's not even born at this point. He's uh, he would be like four or five years old um, a few think. years after this. So yeah, it's uh, there's a lot a lot of uh, intrigue on that show just because of Darth Plagueis possibly being a character we see, which. Would absolutely love. I would not oppose to that at all. Yeah, like as opposed to them talking about like Snoke being Darth Plagueis and all that, I was like, yeah, no, forget forget all that. But I'm a lot more intrigued for his rise rather than kind of like I wasn't really too excited about them bringing Palpatine back. Like I thought it was a cool concept, thought they did all right with it, but I really wish that they would have just jumped into something else. Maybe kept Kylo Ren as the main villain. Yeah, what I like about. Yeah, what I like about the Ahsoka series is that now the Ahsoka series seems like it's uh, it's gonna be you know the Mandalorian it was it was involved with the Empire and like we got to see stuff with like you know cloning and like what is Baby Yoda's blood being used for, which the overall theory is that it's being used to um, make Darth um, uh, make Snoke, but it seems like the Ahsoka series and uh, obviously at, at the uh, end of Episode Six with Ahsoka in relation to Grand Admiral Thrawn. It seems like the Ahsoka series is going to kind of take on that storyline and we'll probably figure out more about Snoke and Grand Admiral Thrawn and the new rise of uh, the First Order probably through the lens of the uh, Ahsoka series. Whereas the Mandalorian will be focusing more on, you know, Mandalorian things rather than in comparison to the Empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and then the Rangers as well. Because they're all supposed to tie into into each other. They're going to be kind of like... uh, was it uh, the CW's uh, Arrowverse? Yeah, yeah. I, I like that idea too because imagine this: like, imagine if in the Ahsoka series she finds out where Thrawn is at or something, and and finds Ezra, and then the Rangers of the Republic they're dealing with like this new First Order that's kind of coming out. Like they're they're hearing a little bit about this stuff. Like there's something afoot going on. And same thing in the Mandalorian. Mandalorian, they're like hey, there's this new enemy threat that's coming out of nowhere. And then it all kind of leads up to this big climactic event of, like, some people are saying this is, like, Hair to the Empire, where Thrawn has come back and he's got, like, either the Chiss Ascendancy with him, he's got, like, the uh, a part of the Empire, and, and they're thinking that Filoni and Favreau are going 
not in that exact route, but towards that route where it's a situation of all these shows are interconnected in a very unique way, but they all have the exact same payoff at the end. Which would be really cool. Uh, I, from what I hear, there's only going to be two more seasons of Mandalorian, so <clears throat> I wonder if they're going to, once that ends and the other shows are continuing, I wonder if they're going to just bring Mandalorian back just for like uh, cameos. Yeah, I, I don't know how how much more in the story they have. I, I, I know um, Giancarlo Esposito, the guy who plays Moff Gideon, he did say there's, uh, well, we already know there's season three, but he also said, yeah, there's a season four as well, so don't know if it'll go past that, but if it does, I, I think um, I think nobody's going to object to it. But I, I think they're going to wrap up the story. I, I think they already know how the story is going to end, and they're just kind of executing it at this point, which is good because we know that the story needs to be told in a certain way. We can't have the show go on forever, but boy, has it been Dinda a fun Jaren time to becomes, watch. Jaren becomes the new Mandalore. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people want that. I, I want that too. Yeah, I and think that'd be really honestly, cool. Honestly, I want to see him. I want to see the fight with Bo-Katan. That see, is something. I, I know. I'm kind of conflicted like on that one. I'm wondering if she's going to respect it, or if there is going to be like some type of conflict between them. Also, that fight with uh, with Boba Fett and um, Sasha Banks' character, that one was that. I kind of like that uh, that whole uh, discourse that they had in that episode, where it's like. Like anything special out of you came out of a Bacta tank, <laughs> mm-hmm. or stuff like that. You know, it's just it's cool how they can like you know incorporate uh, the nostalgia and canon with everything. And like obviously, Boba is such a cool character because I mean he was involved in the Republic era and all that other stuff. Um, and also, I mean, I know a lot of people who had complaints with not complaints, but like they were kind of like, oh, you know, she should have not beat up Boba Fett in that fight. But really, I mean. Boba Fett was trained from Django, obviously, and, like, we haven't really seen him do much. I mean, other than him being hooked on Spice and getting hit in the back with Han Solo. You ever hear that theory in uh, Return of the Jedi that Boba Fett was doing too much Spice, and that's why he got clunked by Han Solo? I, I think yeah, that's, I, I, uh, that's, a, that's a load of McClunky. I, I think yeah. those are those are Boba Fett apologists. They're like, you know what? It's because he... Um, you know, his pants were down. Yeah. He, he, was, he was doing so much drugs. <laughs> yeah, you got yeah. it. I don't agree with those uh, with those uh, theories either, but it's just it's funny to think about, like, how much people are willing to protect Boba Fett, even though he's, like, there's really no credibility in that we've seen at all. Yes, yeah, yeah, to be honest, Boba Fett never really years? was one of my favorite characters until they reintroduced him in Mandalorian. Now I'm starting to think, okay, all right, Boba Fett's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's been a popular consensus of it's like, you know, what has this guy actually done? He just kind of shows up, says, uh, you know, put Solo in the cargo hold. And then you're like, oh, he's the baddest guy in the galaxy. And then, you know, 40 odd years later, they finally come out with an actual story for him. And it's, he's actually intriguing. It's not just expanded universe stuff. It's not just in the books or comics or even in the Clone Wars show. A shout out to our boy, Daniel Logan, because, yeah. you know, they got to explore his character as a young kid in that show. So they've they've slowly redeemed the character of Boba Fett, and I can I can really appreciate that because th- there is the route that we could have gone, like um, Ethan was saying a lot earlier, where like he just shows up and he's like, "Hey, I'm Boba Fett and I'm cool." But no, he came back and he's like, "I'm here for my armor." You know, he's got so Tamara Morrison has done an amazing job as Boba, and I'm excited that he's back in Star Wars. And I, I've yeah, heard he's, he's very he's, busy. He's a great actor. He's a great actor too, and. One of the things about the Clone Wars, uh, canon-wise, I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, we all remember the episode with Boba as a child blowing up Jango's helmet to kill Mace Windu, right? Yep. And, I do remember that, yeah. And we all know the canon story of, not canon, I believe it's uh, not canon, but of jo- Boba Fett killing Jaster Morell and getting the armor from him. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. Was that in the Clone Wars show, or is yeah. that a comic or a book? Uh, the, yeah, it, I remember. I just like I remember there was something when I was a kid where uh, Jaster Morell was a character. He was another uh, like Mandalorian where Boba Fett killed him and obtained his armor. But in the Clone Wars, it, uh, Boba Fett tries to blow up Mace Windu with a bomb inside his uh, Jago's helmet. Mm-hmm. So like I was just thinking of like maybe like that could have been like another like canon error, just like with uh, the Dark Saber and Sabine. Um, but I don't know. That's just something I wanted to point out because it was during the bounty hunter, uh, um, season arc with, uh, 
um, you know, Ayla Sakura, not Ayla Sakura. Yeah, yeah. Shoot, what's her name? Uh, the sniper. Uh, she got. Aurora Singh. Aurora Singh, yeah. Yeah, Aurora Singh. Singh. Remember, remember how great that was? And that was also great in Han Solo, where I, um, I forget the name of the character, but he's just like, yeah, I pushed her off a cliff or something. Like yeah, um, <laughs> Tobias Beckett or something like that. Yeah, like, Beckett. Uh, Woody, his name is Woody Harrelson, right? The guy, uh, yeah, actor. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Great, great, great actor. actor. Yeah, he, he he literally showed up and did Woody Harrelson for Beckett. No, I loved no, it. No. Pretty much. And just to jump back on the Boba Fett armor thing, uh, it goes into one of the Clone Wars arcs that Filoni never really got to develop. Uh, Filoni did talk about Boba and Cad going on a mission to get his armor. Yeah, what was that one about Cad Bane? Um, that Mark actually I think this is what me and you saw when we went to uh, Celebration in Orlando. I saw that same, I saw that same video. That yeah, the, the right scene where they had that shoot off and everything. That's yeah. right, because we went to and Dave Filoni's little uh, that's uh, Cad Bane meets his end. artist thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but he gets the dent on his helmet. I almost forget about those kind of like moments where like. You know, we actually see like Dave Filoni in real life, and you look at him across the stage, you're like, "Oh yeah, there's Dave." And then like thinking about it, it's like, "Well, that was three years ago, and now this man's, you know, telling a lot more stories in Star Wars." It's um, yeah, so, yeah like, it's a crazy time. And an interesting story development with uh Boba. I'm not exactly, I haven't read too much into it, but I know on his helmet he had like those gold insignias or uh, stripes, which kind in Mandalorian it kind of uh, resembled uh, or is a symbolized as a revenge. And then you see when he repaints his armor, the stripes are now red, which is more of like an honor to your lineage or your father or something like that. And so it kind of shows like a peaceful, peaceful change. It's like a very subtle oh, thing. I, 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 I love what they did with his armor. And um, oh yeah, you know, after he got it back, I, I, I saw some people were a little upset with that, but I thought it looked great. I, I love. I'm I'm really excited to see what they do with Boba Fett um, this year, actually at December. I know yeah, he's right. going to try to rule Tatooine. He's gonna he's he's ruling the whole world as a drug lord, man. I mean, he's yeah. he's literally Jabba at this point, which is funny because he's got that dad bod too. So he's sitting yeah. that like the seat of the throne. Any guy who sits on that throne has to gain a little weight. That's what I was saying too. Bid Fortuna. Oh my goodness. Ah oh, man, that that dude was eating like a king. Like he he like all of us during COVID just locked down, and piled up some food. Just I don't even know if he just worked. gained weight, gained some yeah. comfort weight. Comfort weight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, he doesn't have to stand on his feet all day next to Java. Maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why anyone who sits there gains weight. Is like you sit there in that throne and you're like, bro, this is the most comfortable chair I have ever been in. Like, did Java ever leave that? I, I think he left it for the um, the uh, sail barrage that uh, he, he yeah. got on to take out freaking. But maybe they didn't even get him off the throne. Maybe they just moved it. Just kind moved of glided. The, I think they just moved the throne. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> he's got a whole security detail that just moves him yeah his, his little uncomfortable laugh that he always does anytime something happens he's like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's oh, like man. little did you know there's a rancor, rancor below you. <laughs> even the rancor couldn't have pulled Jabba off of the uh, off the throne that's how fat no. the guy came. <laughs> oh, poor Jabba yeah it's just overall I'm excited to see what they're doing I mean like Dave Filoni um I like that he um, kind of had, you know, a live action redemption, you know, from the previous season because I did not enjoy his. I mean, it was one of, I say, the weaker episodes of the first season that Dave Filoni directed, but the one he directed with Ahsoka was amazing. And it was, it was he just did such a service to the character and the overall story and everything involved in that was great. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I was talking to a lot of people and they're like, oh, man, I'm kind of, I'm kind of worried what they're going to do with Ahsoka. I'm like, I'm like, Dave Filoni's directing this episode. I'm like, if Dave Filoni's happy with how Ahsoka turns out, I'm sure it's going to be good. Because that's, that's his his character. Like, well, he well, let and her legally survive speaking, Order 66. Yeah, le- legally speaking, too, when it comes to, like, writer stuff, he, he absolutely has final say on her character. Um, because he created her with, with Lucas many, many years ago. And so we all predicted like when we found out which episodes were being directed by who or written by who it, and it was found out that Dave was um, writing I think it was chapter oh, it was like the fifth episode in season two basically I was like all right if chapter he's writing 15. it that's yeah that, that's the one that ahsoka would pop up but I'm with I'm with Ethan I did not like um Dave's episode in the first season chapter five because uh, he he had which, he directed which episode was that? 
It was um, the one where they go to the chat, the the Tatooine, and um, he meets Finnick Sean. She dies. The one guy like tries to betray. Oh yeah. Or then yeah. So like that one um, was written and directed by Dave Filoni. The first episode of season one was just directed by Dave Filoni, and I thought that one was very well. So I think I think Dave is actually, <laughs> I think Dave is very similar to George Lucas in more ways than people would like, and that is the sense of he is a better director than he is a writer, but that does not mean he's that great of a director either. <laughs> like, he, he's yeah. good, but... Um, and he, you see it through Clone needs... Wars and Rebels. Well, yeah, but with Clone Wars and Rebels, though, it's not he's not only not directing those episodes himself. I mean, he's supervising directors, so he's he's involved in all of them. And it's not and live it, action. Yeah, it's not like a completely different ways of making those things. But he he's also not writing most of the episodes for that. Like he's heavily involved in story. And but like when it comes to like Rebels, I, I think I think it was more exemplified in um the resistance series is that he was kind of like loosely associated rebels. I know he had a big, he, he was in charge of the story, but I don't think he directed as many episodes as he did with clone wars. Cause clone wars, right. he wasn't in charge of that whole series at first. It was, it was a Lucas and him thing. And as time went on, Dave Filoni slowly, but surely became more in control over it up until like season seven, where he just, he just ran the show at that point. I thought it was season three that Lucas took a step back and just let Dave run it. It may be. Um, I don't remember the production stuff on all of that as well, but I do know that um, they they started out collaborating a lot together, and then like, oh yeah, which one was it? Season five or four, where we got the Mortis arc? That was something that season Lucas three. himself. Season three, okay. Because yeah, I know that that's that, that's the one that like Lucas himself came in and was like, no, Han, I have I have an idea. You guys are gonna love it, and he was right. It was it was great. So it's nice seeing someone like Dave go from storyboard animator to executive producer or director writer and live action star wars yeah i think he's yeah. had a great career in the film yeah, yeah i can't wait if to see what else he comes up with in that regard one of uh i remember watching um and obviously since dave filoni dire- directed it i remember when i was first watching the episode they directed in uh, season one um at the ending the teasing obviously now we know it was boba fett but i i was willing to bet all my money that that was going to be cad vane and i was so excited because of the the chain on the boot and that was uh going up to uh finnick yeah it's it's kind of crazy how that all played out like a lot of us said at the time we were like oh that's boba fett but then we were like well wait a minute he doesn't have the armor on because so it's not Boba Fett, and then it was like, well, there was Boba Fett without the armor, and he revived Fennec Shan to bring her back. I would like to see Cad Bane in live action, though. That that man has a villainy to him that I think is uh, criminally underrated. I think I think he's he such a, a he, he's one of my favorite bounty like, hunters. It's it's Benicio del Toro's character in the Last Jedi is basically um, a worse version of Cad Bane. But they have the same type of uh, morals and methodology on life, you know. Benicio, uh, that character in the Last Jedi, Benicio del Toro, you know, he uh, basically said whatever side needs him or whatever side is going to pay him he's properly the is, is uh, the side that he's going to go for or work for. Uh, he doesn't really pick sides; he just picks whoever hires him, which uh, which is essentially Cad Bane's character. And I just really liked how Cad Bane is just all, only a, like a lone soldier by himself. I think there's a lot more story to be had with him too. I mean, I, I wouldn't imagine they would be done with Cad Bane's story, but I don't, I don't really know where they would take it. Like he's going to have to die at some point. It seems to be uh, the, the debate and kind of conflict I have with a lot of characters in general in star Wars that we always like, we see their story doesn't end, but like clone wars, you don't know what happens to Cad Bane after that. And we were in the same state with like Boba Fett after return of the Jedi. For, for me, we know that these characters are going to die. Sometimes I just want to see the characters die off, you know, like I wouldn't mind if Cad Bane came back for like an episode or two and like the Mandalorian and then like he gets killed at the end. Like, like, okay, his story's over. Or or if it's something as simple as he went into retirement and he's happy, like it yeah. would be nice to get some, um, I mean, conclusive how great would it results. be if Cad Bane and, um, I mean, this is obviously fan service, but I mean, if they did it properly, it wouldn't be fan service, but in the book of Boba Fett, I mean, how great would it be to see Cad Bane and Boba Fett have a reunion? Especially because Boba Fett in the Clone Wars was hired by Cad Bane, 
and his crew, and basically Cad Bane was leading it. And Cad would be some, very old, but that would be really cool too. It would be, it'd be, yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, like with all the time that's passed, I mean, they would probably barely remember each other because Boba never even had the armor in the first place when he was a kid. But uh, maybe he did. He just didn't wear it, obviously. But um, yeah, I wonder if Flynn is ever going to go back to that little clip or that little story arc. I mean, how and... great would it be if they did that? If they did that clip in um in uh book of boba fett i don't know i mean as a some flashback of it. yeah like so, uh, something oh no cadbane's cool. a cadbane is just too great of a character where it wouldn't be fan service i feel like he would be serving the story if they incorporated it correctly well, especially with the book, book of boba <laughs> fett yeah like like a book of boba fett is going to mostly be about the criminal underworld and, and about the um crime that's going on and the gangs and all that and i i actually quick little prediction i do think we're going to see um a live action darth maul or hear about his gang in the book of boba fett i i know for sure that um well maul's dead at this point oh yeah this is so it definitely be mentions yeah i I have have my timeline messed up he's supposed to be in um one of the future like upcoming shows or something they said that they were going to do uh like a solo series or something again, but um, uh, yeah, Andor. I think I think. He... Oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, that could, I think that, that could be. That, a, yeah. It takes prior to Rogue One, and so that's yeah. kind of like about the timeline that Maul finds Obi Wan on Tatooine. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I think it would be that. Oh um, my god! I wouldn't be surprised. A live action, a live action rendition of what we saw in Rebels <laughs> would be fantastic. Oh yeah, on, on the on the Obi Wan Kenobi show that that was that was the one thing I was really disappointed with in Rebels. Was I was like, dude, if we have a Kenobi movie or a Kenobi series, you just killed off Maul and you just killed off the main villain for that series. Like that, that really upset me. And I know they're bringing back Anakin and um, Hayden Christensen to play Darth Vader. Yeah. I'm semi okay with that, but I would have much preferred yeah. to see Darth Maul oh. and Obi Wan go at it again. How I see them going about with villains in Kenobi, which I would be willing to bet money on, is basically uh, Sith Inquisitors and the season finale being Darth Vader simple as that that's what i was Uh, thinking and a lot of people are thinking that it's going to end up on tatooine but at this point i think obi-wan leaves tatooine for a while because i know george uh said once that obi-wan never stayed there permanently he went off to get news and other stuff to check things out from what we know about the uh the story so far with the kenobi series um and this i mean I believe it 110% because it comes from very credible scoopers in the Star Wars community. Um, One thing that is supposed to happen is that Darth Vader basically sends out Commander Cody, which is going to be Tamara Morrison um, reprising his role. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to come back for that. And like Cody is going to hunt down like the 501st is going to cut hunt down Obi-Wan because, you know, he's one of the Jedi and everything like that. And then. I would imagine, yeah, close to the end, probably the last episode, we're going to see Darth Vader and Obi-Wan um, reunite one more time and fight again one more time. As Kathleen wow. Kennedy said, the, the rematch of the century. The, the dialogue in that fight is going to be insane. Uh, uh, just can, can it top the Revenge of the Sith one? Are you are the chosen one and all that. Oh, my God. I mean, I just You are like, my brother, Hennigan. I just feel like I Obi-Wan's love to. Done, I feel like Obi-Wan's just done with him, and he's... uh. You know, he knows, I mean, he told, tells Luke in New Hope, you know, um, he's he's like, he's basically a machine basically now. Yeah, but, um, he, he, yeah he says that in Empire. He's like, he's like, he's more machine now machine than man. man. But, but uh, there's that one line in Return of the Jedi where um, Vader does say, Obi-Wan once thought as you did when Luke is trying to redeem him. So I think they're going to explore that a little bit where I think Obi-Wan will run into Darth Vader and say something along the lines of like, you know, I know they're still good on you. You can still turn back. Like, what would Padme want for you to do and all that stuff? So, yeah, there's actually that makes sense because you don't get that out of the new Where basically Obi Wan, I mean, like, I mean, it was teased in Clone in season seven, the Clone Wars too. Uh, there's a whole deleted uh, script and line of dialogue where like Obi Wan saying like, I know about Padme. I chose to elect mm-hmm. to ignore it because I knew it made uh, Anakin happy and all of that kind of stuff and you're the only one he can truly be happy with so i mean obviously bringing padme into it would probably enrage vader i mean <laughs> but, uh, this is his greatest failure i mean it's yeah it's his one and i mean i mean obviously Sh- shimi was another failure but uh 
lot of Anakin's story is is almost too Shakespearean in a way. Yeah. If you look at such it, a tra- such a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> and tragedy but was anyway, the writing yeah, of the prequels. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm excited for what's to come overall and definitely to expand away from the um, Skywalker story, even though the Kenobi series will be um, definitely, you know, involved in that. So we'll still get some of our Skywalker uh, medicine in. But being able to explore other avenues of Star Wars is great, especially with Book of Boba Fett and the criminal underworld. Uh, it's going to be insane. And I think that's kind of what they're doing with all these new projects is that they're slowly kind of like weaning us off of the main story and moving into all these different eras. Oh, and so there's God. a lot. Of, so there's a lot of cool projects that are coming out. And for for anybody that's listening and hasn't even touched the comics, the comics have dealt a lot into a lot of the the back lore of a lot of it, which I find extremely fascinating. Yeah, I, I think that. We're going to see a future Star Wars that really expands on different timelines, different characters, different d- different stories that are like integral to the universe, but weren't integral to the episodic films of the Skywalker saga. And I really like that idea because it has felt very limiting to basically make everything about this family, which in some sense is fine if it's what the main films are about, but... It's the Star Wars universe. There's so much more to offer, and, and they're just now kind of using that to branch off ideas. I mean, between like 2012 and 2019, maybe even 2020, literally all the new Star Wars content that was not movies, and even actually the movies, if you consider Rogue One and Solo, all the new content was between episodes three and four, that 19-year gap. And it was mind-numbingly annoying. We're, we're still doing that a little bit with Andor. We're doing that with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Fallen but we've Order. kind of fallen order. Yeah, the sequel that's coming out in 2022 as well. So, so we've milked that a lot. But we've pretty much milked it to the point where it's dry. So now they're like, okay, well, we have another era to look through. We have between episodes six and episode seven. We have the timeline between episodes two and three. And then we have the timeline before episode one. I mean, th- th- that's just almost yeah. infinity. You, you, have in, you have nonstop room to work with. So it's, 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 a good, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan, but it's also an even better time to be a Star Wars creator because I feel like your options are pretty much limitless at this point. Oh, yeah. I think one of my favorite things in Legends came from, I think it was like you jump 200 years into the future and it's uh, Luke's like great great grandson, Cade. And mm-hmm. he's kind of like force sensitive, but he wants nothing to do with it. And he's kind of become like a smuggler in his own, own right. And so there's lots of opportunity they can go with pulling from Legends, rewriting stuff, and just coming up with a bunch of brand new cool stories that we haven't even thought of yet. It's so. it's um good time to be a Star Wars fan. I remember feeling very happy and optimistic about the future back in 2015, um, but right now I feel even better. I know it's been a rough few years. I know people have been a uh, very anti Lucasfilm, very anti Kathleen Kennedy. I think there's arguments to be made on all sides, but um, I think Kathleen Kennedy is going to stay on past 2021. I think we're going to have a bright next five to ten years of star wars i think i think there's a lot to offer for um, a lot of the community and a a lot of the fans in general absolutely all right guys i think that's actually going to end it for our discussion tonight um go ahead and comment below and tell us what you think about the future of star wars uh things that you'd like to see we'd like to hear what you guys speculate about what you guys are thinking um also check in the description we've got uh, Star Wars Warriors and Star Wars Only. They're both on Instagram as well as YouTube. So check out all of their content um, and show them some love. Uh, also down below, check out our Discord channel. We're building a huge global community. I think we're over 100 people there right now, and it's booming over there. As well as check out some of our cool shirts that we've uh, we've been creating. Uh, we got a bunch more cool stuff coming out, so check out all the links down below. Um, This is Echo 2, out, and may the force be with you.